When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ever wonder what kind of guitar was used in the studio on a Journey hit like Don't Stop Believing? Ever fantasize about owning that specific guitar? Hey, if you got the right amount of money and able to win an upcoming auction bid, you can own that guitar. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, the music collector's magazine since 1974. And this is the Goldmine Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Group of music-related podcasts. Now, The final auction bids will be made on over 100 guitars owned by Journey guitarist Neil Sean via Heritage Auctions on July 31st. 112 guitars to be exact from this auction called the Neil Sean Collection. The auction takes place the very week, in fact, that Journey returns to the stage as one of the Lollapalooza headliners in Chicago alongside the likes of Foo Fighters. And by the way, Journey is just finishing up its 15th studio album. It's first in a decade to be released soon. So we'll have Neil Sean on as a guest for this episode of the Goldmine Podcast, and he will be talking about the different guitars, including the 1977 Gibson Les Paul Deluxe Black Solid Body that he used on 1981's Chart Topping Escape which, of course, he also used on the Don't Stop Believing song as well. We'll also talk about other guitars up for auction, guitars he used for songwriting, and the guitar he used while in Santana. He'll also give some hints about the upcoming Journey album, among other things. So we'll be right back with Neil Sean after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Neil, how are you? 
I'm good, man. This is exciting, all these guitars. I'm looking at the photos here. Um, They're amazing, man. I swear, you know, uh, I've collected, you know, nothing but the best I could ever find. And when you see them in person, it's just kind of mind-boggling how clean some of them are. They look, I mean, absolutely, they look like they someone bought them in, you know, the 50s or early 60s, whatever year the guitar is, and stuck them under a bed, you know. And I did pay, I paid, you know, dearly for it. Uh, but you know what? Um, I'm always into making room for new stuff, you know. And I like messing with my guitars. I like changing pickups out to adapt my playing to whatever amp I'm playing through, you know. Yep. And I can't be doing it to a vintage instrument. And so I'd rather pass it on to somebody that's going to love the instrument just as it is. I mean, they're all excellent instruments, but I just like messing with my stuff. And so, you know, I've got a lot of new stuff in the works uh, with Fender and, um, you know, possibly some Gibson stuff. and uh, But mainly Fender stuff I'm working on right now. And uh, I'm excited about, you know, I like to get in and, 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 and get involved in, you know, the design and the overall sound and woods and all that kind of stuff. After so many years of playing, I kind of know what I like. Right, sure. And I have too many guitars, you know, <laughs> like uh, 900 guitars or something. It's crazy. Oh, my God. And, you know, you... they're just stacked all over the place. And. I have a huge warehouse that Journey used to, you know, like rehearse out of, and it's just stacked. I, and it's hard for me to even find anything, you know. And so it's just time, you know, to let go of of some. And so that's the whole reasoning, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Beck told me he has guitars on a stand throughout his house. Um, so he remembers to practice. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, in my little studio that's like basically a little bedroom in, in our house in Marin, you know, I've got them stacked on top of one another, you know. <laughs> wow. And so there's so many just at the house here, you know, and i got to tell you the truth, you know, I mean, they all sound amazing, but there's my go-to guitars that yeah. I used like on the New Journey record, right. and none of them were really vintage instruments. Right. Even though I've got some of the finest ones ever made, right. you know. Right. I prefer, you know, some of the the newer guitars that came from custom shops, you know. Right. Uh, you know, to me, they're, you know, it's electronics and wood and how the thing vibrates and how it talks to me while I'm trying to make it talk, you know. And so, um, but the guitars, the collection itself is like, I think besides Bonamassa and maybe Rick Nielsen, I've never seen in a collection like this. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have the first guitar you ever owned? And if so, is is it in this auction or have you kept it? I don't have the very first guitar I ever owned because it was a Stella uh, acoustic guitar mm. that, that I first learned and I my father bought it for me in uh, Sears and Roebuck. Wow. Uh, but... Um, you know, I haven't had that for years. And then the first good guitar that he bought me was uh, a 1960 
53, I believe, 335, and it was stolen. And so the next guitar that I bought with the insurance money uh, was the 70, uh, I'm trying to think of what year the, the gold top is that, is that I'm actually selling. That yeah. I played in Santana. It was a reissue uh, of uh, the 56, I believe, gold top. And I want to get the numbers right, so I have to think for a second. It gets so confusing. I've had so many guitars, but um, I believe it was uh, they made them in 68. Hmm. The 68 reissue I bought of the gold top. And so it was an original 68 gold top that Gibson did a reissue of hmm. uh, back in 68. And I probably bought it around 1970 that was right. my third guitar and so that one is in this collection that i'm putting up for sale but you know it was on all the early santana recordings um you know it's been you know like mess with quite a bit like i said i like to mess with my guitars right. um it had p90s when i first got it um i had taken the p90s off and put humbuckers on it and then I did all the first journey records with with that guitar and uh an old fifty nine Les Paul triple pickup, but really the gold one, the one that sounded better and I just found some old uh PAFs uh from the fifty nine Paul that I stuck in it. Um then, you know, I did my guitar after I, you know, met Floyd Rose and uh, you know, Eddie was a, a good friend of mine and you know, he had shown me like the new Floyd that was put on his guitar and I contacted Floyd and I think I got one of the first three or four, mm. you know, and stuck it on my 63 Strat. And then I wanted to experiment and try one on a Les Paul. So that Les Paul, that Black Paul that I did, you know, a lot of uh, uh, journey, song, great the journey tours right. with and uh, Escape and Frontiers and you know, it's on Don't Stop Believing. Right. It's on Who's Crying Now. It's on, you know, uh, Stone and Love. It's on a lot of famous songs and been on major tours. That was the first Les Paul ever to have a Floyd put on it. And so it was an experimental thing I did with a, a pro and turned out to be a great sounding guitar, you know. And so you know, like I've just moved on, you know. Yeah. Um, so you've always been tinkering. You've always been tinkering with with guitars, not just. Yeah, I like moving on. You know, I'm not afraid to try new things. Um, I embrace like technology. Everything that's out there, I try. You know, because yep. I just have like that kind of a mechanical type mind where I like to understand why it sounds like this and why does it sound good through that amp and why did these pickups sound good through this little amp, you know? And yep. it's, it's between co it's your fingers and a combination of a guitar and an amp, you know? And what, you know, moves you, you know, and gives you the voice that you want, I think, like any guitarist. Well, I think it's going to appeal to, what well, appeals to me, and I think it's going to appeal to a lot of goldmine readers, is that... That gold top you bought, you you were seventeen year old kid, and here you are playing with Santana. I mean, in the studio, that's remarkable. 
Um, and you played on songs like Everybody's Everything and No One to Depend On. Right, I've actually played this. That was our number one uh, song off that record with Tower Power, and I actually played lead on that song. And Carlos played bass yeah. and played rhythm guitar. That's yeah. right. And Tower of Power. Wow. That's that, that's yeah. right. That's uh that was that must have been exp- a great experience playing with them. That that's that's fantastic that you brought that up. Yeah, you know, I mean, after I joined Santana and Carlos and I started hanging out a lot, we would go over to the East Bay and sit in with them a lot when they would play. And uh, they've always been like an amazing band. I think it's amazing they sound the best ever, like yeah. right now. I know. You know? <laughs> I know. They've gotten better and better, you know. I don't know how you do that, but, you know, they got Garibaldi back on drums and uh, poor Rocco, you know. Uh, he's in heaven now, but uh, they sounded very good. I saw a concert up there the other night, caught a bit of it on TV, and they've always been great friends, Mimi and everybody else in the band. But what's fr- what's great is, that, Neil, is that, this, that that gold top just fit right in to the sound of Santana. It was like almost like you picked it to fit right in. I, you know, it's it's pretty pretty amazing. That is the guitar too that I where I walked on stage in uh, Berkeley Community Theater uh-huh. um, where Clapton I had jammed with him the night before at Wally Hyder's studio right. with the Santana band and then he invited me to come play with him at Berkeley with Derek and the Dominoes. So they had I don't know, they had some sun 1000 Coliseum amp hooked up and I you know brought my guitar that guitar and just plugged it in it it sounded so killer you know and um, you were never you were never intimidated as a 17 year old kid huh as playing with these these greats like Clapton and I wasn't I don't know why I was never really nervous you know I had my effect was a chord and a Wawa. <laughs> and I always took the Wawa at the front of the stage, and I liked the crank on the Wawa, you know. That's Even a... in Santana, you know. Yeah. It was funny. I saw some old pictures, and I was right at the edge of the stage. <laughs> I couldn't get any closer to the audience. I just wanted to be heard, you know, and I was yeah. like, felt like I, I, I felt proud about what I was doing, and <laughs> It's like overrode any nerves, you know, or <laughs> yeah. And then you moved. Okay, the Black Gibson Les Paul. Okay, that that's been on so many great Journey songs, and of course the one that's going to stick out is "Don't Stop Believing" because, you know that that song's a household name, you know. And I mean, it was to begin with, but then you had you know, the last episode of The Sopranos, and it was like, now it's even more so. So people are going to be attracted to that guitar, knowing that knowing that guitar, that that was the, the guitar that created the song, basically. So, um... Uh, it was my main acts on, you know, all the biggest 80s yeah. tours that we did, too. Yep. You know, I used that, as, you know, my Les Paul, and then I had a 63 Strat um, that I no longer own, that I sold years ago, that I was trying to buy back from the guy I sold it to, and he wouldn't give it up, you wow. know? But, you know, like I said, Strats, there's so many great Strats, you know? Yeah. And that one was really a Mutt Strat, you know? Yeah. It was a 63 neck, uh, and it was a 65 body. 
and I kind of put it together, and I stuck a Floyd on it. You know, didn't have a Floyd in the beginning days, and, you know, it was on some of our, our records that after Steve uh, Perry came into the band, yeah. you know, it was the strap that was on lights and, you know, um, you know, on a evolution and departure, walks like a lady. Yeah. But, you know, um, I had stuck a PAF in the back, you know. Uh, I took out one of the tone uh, controls, so it was only, you know, master volume and, and one tone. Um, but, like, you know, like I'm saying, I like messing with stuff and unhooking wires and hooking up extra you know, things and trying things out. And, you know, that's the one thing, you know, with all the beautiful guitars that are in this collection, they were just too pristine and beautiful to mess with, you know? Right. And, you know, I just couldn't do it, you know? Right. And so I said, well, you know, I thought about opening my own museum. Right. I actually even talked to uh, Joe Bonamassa about doing something together. But it's just never, you know, we're both doing our own thing, and he's got so many amazing guitars, too. And so, you know, I just thought it's time, you know, to let these guitars go out to the world and people right. that really, you know, want them. I want them to have a chance to own a piece of it, you know? Yeah, that's no joke. You could really open up a museum. <laughs> I mean, you've got how many guitars? You said, I think you said 500? I mean, wow. Um, now, was this... I have about, no, I have about 900. Wow. Yeah, if you, Joe, and Rick Nielsen got together, you can open up the Ultimate Guitar Museum. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know what happens in the future, you know. Right. <laughs> I always, like, I have so many, I have too many, you know, and I can't possibly play them all, so... You know, you will I'm make some. Going, you will make some memorabilia. You will make a memorabilia yeah. person very happy. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, you can't. You know, I I can't keep. I love buying guitars. Yeah, obviously, all the time. It's it's uh, you know a crutch I have and something I enjoy doing, and and so I'm always going to be buying new guitars, and so I can't keep buying without getting rid of some. You know? I mean, I am curious if this will get in the hands of a Journey fan or a guitar geek. Um, well, I or think, maybe you know, both. Both, I think. Yeah. Because that's really how, you know, I, I did put in some, you know, famous Journey guitars right. for fans, uh, like um, sticking in uh, the acoustic guitars. Yeah. I have two guilds that that they made for me years ago uh, when Steve Perry first, he wasn't even in the band yet. Before Steve joined the band, he came out to, you know, hang a bit and went up to my room and I had the acoustic, gold acoustic there, the one that I'm putting in the auction and we sat down and I wrote the very first song I did with him like in about a half an hour and it was patiently. And mm. So that guitar has a lot of history. And then I, I played it, of course, all over the next three tours, I believe, that we did. Uh, you know, it's before they actually made decent guitar stands. Mm. And my crew at the time had made me the stand. You'll see old pictures 
of you know my guitar hanging mm. behind me, the electric guitar, mm. uh, the Paul, and then I would have you know the acoustic in a big stand, and my arm was like way up over the top of this big body, you know, and it was not that comfortable to play, but great sounding guitar, and then it ended up being on every track that you hear acoustic mixed in. Um, patiently, I, I used the 12 guild that they made me as well as the six string guild. And then I had a, a Spanish style gut string, nylon string guitar. Um, and when Roy Thomas Baker produced Infinity, he wanted me to combine all three guitars into one giant acoustic track. And so we started doing that, you know, combining acoustics with electrics, uh, you know, just the same way as, you know, the acoustics on there mixed in with electrics. Uh, Daydream has got this real cool, you know, acoustic guitar mixed in with clean electrics, uh, Wheel in the Sky, you know, and all those records, you know. So um, those guitars are, you know, they have great history behind them, too, for a fan. Was that Guild Acoustic your go-to to write songs on? Um, it was at that time period. Mm. Uh, we were traveling around in uh, a station wagon, you know, with about five, six guys crammed in it, Jeez. driving to every gig. And I kept the guitar with me because I liked having something to play when we eventually got to the hotel, right. you know, after a nine-hour drive and playing a gig. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I remember that our tour manager... At the time, Pat Morrow was driving, and he would get really fatigued because the drives were so long. And, you know, had Herbie Herbert, you know, our manager at the time, would be, like, all over him, you know, while we're driving, and he'd get fatigued, and he'd say, i got to pull over, man. i got to take a break because I need a candy bar, <laughs> you know, to recharge, <laughs> to be able to do the drive. And so uh, he'd go in, everybody take a bathroom break, and, and stretch out a bit, and I, I kind of yanked the guitar out on this one towards pre-Steve uh, Perry, and uh, I sat on the hood of the car, and I just started banging out a wheel in the sky. Wow. You know, came with the chorus first and, and the rest of it. And, you know, that's why you keep an acoustic around sometimes, but I have many beautiful acoustic guitars, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I sort of lean towards the Taylors a little bit more, or, you know, I like Martins too, of course, but, you know, I love Guilds, but, you know, they're they're very old right now and um, not quite as comfortable to play as some of the newer guitars that they're making, you know, for Acoustic 12 especially. So did you take that uh, Black Gibson Les Paul on tour? So he used it in the studio to create, you know, to plant some great hits. Did you perform? Oh, yeah. It's like okay. on all our major 80s tours. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, uh, live in Houston okay. at the Summit 81. That's the guitar that's in that video. Ah. It had um, the piano was on uh, the cover guitar player magazine in the 80s. That's the same guitar. And the only thing that's different is I took the P90 out of the next position because it was just too noisy, you know, yep. for live. And I stuck, uh, I ended up, well, I stuck a humbucker in there originally, 
But then I I took I had my Fernandez sustainers that I was using, um, you know, later on, and so I took the humbucker out and I uh, stuck one of my Fernandez sustainers in it and a little Demarzio. Uh, it's like you know a stack single coil double coil uh, fast track pickup that I like using in a neck position with a sustainer. They I could get kind of like thick, nice, clean strat type neck pickup tones mm. with it, even if it was a Paul or whatever guitar it was put on. Now, what about, um, I'm going to ask about your solo stuff. Is there any any guitars that you used for your solo albums or any of that stuff? Sure. Is yeah, that in I the mean, auction? I used, that black, I used the black guitar on um, my first solo record that I okay. did. Actually, it was a co-solo record with Jan Hammer. And I did, you know, oh. Passion. And that was my black guitar that's on that record. And the second record we did, Here to Stay, together, too. And so, you know, I, had, I was using these high-watt heads back then. And I shipped one upstate to uh, his house in New York. And uh, I left it there for him because he plugged his Moog into it. And he loved it. <laughs> Wow. So I gave it to him, you know, and <laughs> I just ended up leaving it there because so I wanted to come back and make more music with him. And uh, that that was all over those two records. And then I did Late Night, and it was on that all over that record, too, mixed with some of my other Sean guitars at that point, you know. Well, I always thought your guitar solos have been pieces of art, works of art. But I was... Um, your last solo album, I was in the office and so I was like, "Who is this?" And they they were like, "This is Neil Sean's solo album," and I was like, "Wow, this is completely different." You were like, totally going off, <laughs> you, and it was completely different, like uh, almost heavy metal. We, and really, you could play almost anything, and you could well, give. You know what the last. Yeah, the last solo record I did, um, <clears throat> you know, people are still finding out about it. Yeah. It's called Universe, and, you know, I, I, um, I've i known uh, uh, Narda Michael Walden for years, you know, and first met him when he first joined Ma Vishnu Orchestra. And actually, Journey actually opened up two dates for them uh, with John McLaughlin. Right. And so... I met him back that far back, way before Priestie Perry. And uh, we've known each other for years. I've jammed with him at local Bay Area uh, outings, you know, whether it was in Golden Gate Park, jamming on a Hendrix tune, or, you know, at the Bammies that we used to have every year, playing with Michael Bolton and Jonathan Kane and Randy Jackson. Uh, Randy Jackson and Narda and I and Jonathan played Crossroads Festival uh, years back at Eric Clapton in Texas. Yeah. And so we, and, um, so, um, But what guitar did you use to get get that really, almost like a heavy metal sound, that, uh, like a shredder type of sound, which was pretty... Oh, you know, it's more, it's, it's, um, what I used on that record, I used um, Paul Reeds and I had some custom fenders. Ah, oh, okay. Uh, by by Yuri, 
years ago, you know, when I first came up with the neck joint that Gibson took over and uh, ended up making it easy access or the access model, it was first on my Les Paul uh, that I did with Gibson before we had a falling out years ago. Um, Les Paul himself actually condoned the guitar. I jammed with him, and he took a look at it, and I didn't, you know, move the volume knobs around and the tone knobs, and I had a push-pull tone knob in the back that, you know, enabled you to get these tubular, uh, like, 355 or 45 tones mm-hmm. with a veritone. Um, it's kind of like a wah-wah, but not. It was more of a filter uh, type thing. And and I had a Fernandez Sustainer, too, that I was, you know, they were making for me at the time. That I was, you know, such a great, uh, valuable thing to add to a guitar if you want to do, like, singing-type melodies, right? And you don't want all the feedback, and you want it to be nice and clean, and you can sing like an opera singer, you know, right. uh, with a sustainer. And you just roll back the sustainer a little bit so it's not like an Ebo, you know. When you put an Ebo on, or even the Sustainiacs that they've made now, you know, it, it kind of vibrates like nonstop, and there's no variable to it, you know. On mine, I was able to turn it back, so it sounded like very, very natural, like feedback. And and um, so I used to install them in a lot of my guitars, you know, after I started using them. And now it's funny, I'm like reverted back. I use them once in a while, but I reverted like on the new Journey record that's, you know, we're just finishing up now. Right. I played like tellies. I'm playing tellies, <laughs> telecasters, you know, with no frills, you know, no <laughs> no bars, no nothing. Just telecaster into a fuzz bass and into, you know, uh, a Kemper right now and um, I turn you know the volume back and you set the fuzz face so it's not all fuzz and you just punch in the front end of it man it's just kill that it sounds kills, fun. You know? that sounds fun that's yeah I've been playing a lot of strats and tellies uh, on the record I did play Les Paul one of my uh, Les Pauls uh, and then there's Les Paul that Gibson made uh, I still have a couple of them left and I used that on some of the tracks, but I ended up mostly playing, you know, Fenders, uh, and that was it. Well, I, not that, not to give you any second thoughts, but which guitar is probably going to be the hardest to part with? Um, you know what? I, I, uh, well, there's there's a few that I would never part with. And they were they were some that I had made actually with an amazing guitar luthier in Japan, mm. uh, and his name is Naoki Ihashi. I H I S H I, and he has Ihash guitars. H U Hush, H U S H, Ihash. And he's an amazing luthier that, you know, sent me some of his guitars on spec. I saw him and I thought, wow, this looks really interesting. Uh, and, and uh, you know, 
I, I played him for a while, and I said, yeah, I would love for you to build me a few. And so we we took on the design. I gave him the ideas. I said, you know, my wife is known as Lady M. I said, I want you to make this angel artwork, you know. And he, he used to etch on old, you know, panhead motorcycles, mm-hmm. Harley Davidson, and he'd do the heads and all the metal work. And his work was so exquisite. I was like, this guy is insane. It's all <laughs> done by hand. Right. You know, the pick cards, all the artwork, everything. So these guitars are so meticulously made, all handmade, you know, no machines. And my God, they, they sound amazing. And so I had him do a whole Lady M series. He did two strats for me that are just phenomenal. Uh, and he made me a, a, a flying bee also. That's phenomenal sounding. They're semi-acoustic. They're mahogany docks, hmm. uh, but they're, they're semi-acoustic. And, um, you know, uh, he just recently made me a 15-inch body, like the size of uh, the old Dennis uh, Paul Reed that I made with the 15-inch bodies that I've played for years on stage. Hmm. And the thing just sounds amazing. And so I would never get rid of those because they're sentimental to me. And, you know, they're just not for sale. Now, will any of these guitars perhaps make it on the next tour? Especially um, the Flying V? Most likely. You know, I haven't gotten <laughs> that far yet, and I have to go through them all, you know? <laughs> we haven't gotten into rehearsal yet, but... Uh, you know you the know Flying V. Go, really? The Flying V always looks really, cool. I I love these. I've got a bunch. I collected a bunch of these. Um, nothing really old, you know. I was looking at an old '59, uh, but they wanted an arm and a leg for it, you know. Yeah. And I tried. I I, I tried a couple that I bought from different music stores that were um, made years ago by Gibson that were custom, custom V's with an ebony fingerboard and a little white, a wider neck than the old 59, uh, you know, V. But humbuckers, and they sound excellent, excellent yeah. sounding guitars, you know? Yeah. And, and the pickups were kicking ass too, you know? I mean, they have a little more push than an original, you know, 59 PAF, but, you know, <laughs> I, if it's got a little too much push and you turn the amp down a little bit and you turn the volume down on the guitar a little bit, yeah. you don't have to have everything cranked. Everybody's always watching me in my videos that I put up on Instagram all the time. They go, man, I've never seen anybody fuss with the volume and the tone so much while they're playing. And I go, because it makes the guitar react different mm. for how you're trying to play. If you're trying to really spit out a lot of notes and have it be like really, you know, uh, detailed, you have to turn it back, you know, and and not so much on ten all the time, and it usually sounds a little thicker and fatter, but with the right type of high end that cuts through. So V's are very good for that, you know. They're so nosy, and um, you know, I I did play a V a few times on the last couple tours. Mm. I played the Ihush V, and I played a you know three fifty five. I started to mix it up a bit, you know, and play different guitars. Um, you know, always played Paul Reed for many years. 
um, selling some of those Paul Reeds that I used on many tours, journey tours, uh, some of the custom-made ones that he made for me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, they're set up with my traditional, the sustainer and DiMarzio and BA up in the back and Floyd's. And, you know, they're loaded. And they sound amazing. I used them for years. Um, but, you know, it's like like anything, you know, you with guitars and myself, I, I always get, you know, new inspiration out of playing uh, different guitars. Right. You know, they make me play differently. Yeah. And so I, I got years out of those guitars. I know. Uh, and then I was preferring more of an acoustical, like semi-hollow uh sound like uh i just got one that was made that i ordered from the custom shop in fender and it's not a regular thin line it looks like a thin line like eric johnson put out with them but it was built completely different on the inside so it is not just chambered it's like semi-acoustic and um uh you know a semi-hollow rather um and i put a floyd on it it's got a maple neck you know, just oiled and very rough with medium-sized frets. And uh, they put a, a Duncan uh, bridge pickup in it. Uh, our trim, I think they call it a trim bridge pickup. I've never heard of it before, but that's what Vince put in it, uh, the luthier. And um, beautiful curly maple top, mm. uh, mahogany back, and the thing screen. You know, and I put um, Clapton's electronics in it, similar to what Clapton has in his Strat, where it's got that you know, dB boost. Uh, it, it doesn't sound like 20 dB. It sounded to me more like about 10 dB mid boost that you roll on with the second tone knob. And so I'm constantly, you know, like working on stuff that that you know, makes the guitar respond the way I'm playing at that time. Well, it keeps things interesting, too, for yourself and, you know, listeners. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you, the more, the longer, I mean, I've been playing so long now. I mean, I'm um, 67. I started playing when I was 10, you know. So, 67 young for young for a rock musician nowadays. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I, I feel really good. I'm ready uh, for the next 10 years, you know. Yeah. With this album, yeah, we're ready to hit it. And I'm just like, I really miss playing, man. I mean, I did, never stopped playing during this pandemic, but I really miss the fans. I miss playing I'm live. sure. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, and thank God, you know, I can stay creative because it's the one thing to help me get through this pandemic besides my life. You know? so, right. <laughs> important to have somebody that you love and you can be you know in the same house with the whole right. time you know right and we're best friends and so it was like a good opportunity for me just to chill out you know and and write a lot of music and record just sort of re- think, well, it, was a, it was good for people sort of um I guess the silver lining was people were able to recharge and now it's time to get back out there and um you know, people are going to, man. Yeah, I had a lot of business that I needed to clean up. Yep. You know, it had gone on for years and years and years with open ends. And 
and a lot of stuff was just never really tightly put together, you know? And so I, I you know, took the time, because I had the time, because you, you can't do it when you're on tour. Right. It's just not enough in the day when you're trying to do a major job like that. And so I took the time, got all that stuff together. And yes, you did. Now I'm going to play again. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to push it on my end. You know, good luck with it. And I'm really curious. The one I, I really curious about is the gold top. I just think that's, uh, to me, that should also be in the Rock Hall. Just It just means that, you know, this 17-year-old kid being in Santana, it's just... To me, it's a, a moving item. Yeah, I wish I'd never messed with it. That's the only thing with the gold top, you know, is that I yeah. it went through a lot of changes. I had Roger uh, Giffen in L.A. Yeah. It was like a master, master luthier. He he refurbished the guitar for me. But, you know, once I tried the Floyd on a Paul, I made the mistake of trying to put a tailor on that guitar, mm. right? And I hated it. It was like buzzed uh, and it sounded terrible. So I was like heartbroken that I messed with it. And I said, well, it's still the, the piece of wood and the neck on it is so killer. And it sounds really great, you know, even though I hate what I did to it. So I had him redo the top. He repainted the top. Um, he, he stuck a fresh set of humbuckers in there. And, you know, it looks like, you know, pretty new. Right now, but the back is still aged, and the neck is the main thing I think on the '68 reissue or a '68. I have a real one too. Uh, gold top. They're thin, you know. They're thin and they're medium wide, you know. But they're really quick guitars to get around on. Very comfortable. Hey, even if it's never played again, it's a it's a historical item. So. Oh, it's been on a lot of records, definitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay, great, man. Thank you for taking the time, Neil. And uh, No problem. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Bye Take now. Care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Neil Sean. All the best on the auction. Hopefully those guitars go in the right hands, either an avid guitar collector or a music memorabilia maven. This is editor Patrick Prince signing off. Don't forget to go to goldmymag.com for exclusive content and collectible-related stuff. And go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, for the latest print edition of Goldmine. See you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 